0: president joe biden is continuing a crucial and incredibly complicated visit to the middle east and while the headlines seem to be obsessed with fist bumps versus handshakes greetings versus meetings let's get down to the reality of what this is what this means and what comes next let's begin think you know the news of the day think again we have described it as a little bit of a high wire act for the president of the United States working through uh, his trip to the Middle East and really pleased to have joining us once again on the program, Olivier Knox, who's the national political correspondent for The Washington Post and the anchor of The Daily 202. Olivier, thanks for joining us. You've been uh, Following this very closely, uh, both as you've looked at it in advance and during, as well as your colleagues who are traveling with the president, uh, give us first just kind of some, some broad sense in terms of what we've learned, what we've seen uh, over the course of this trip.
1: Well, thanks very much, and, and happy Friday to you and to your listeners. I will say in my in my setup piece about this trip, the very first thing that I mentioned was that the Iran nuclear program would loom large over the president's trip to Israel, the Palestinian Authority, and Saudi Arabia. Um, the uh, the Trump administration tore up the Iran nuclear deal, promising a better deal. They failed to get that. The Biden administration came into office, promising to get back into the deal. They have failed to, so far in doing that. And uh, there's really fresh urgency. The uh, uh, you, the uh, International Atomic Energy Agency has uh, has sort of a hair on fire about what's happening in Iran, and the administration now has said that if they choose to produce a, a uh, an atomic bomb, they've got enough uh, fissile material to do so within weeks. So it was very very important as the president headed over there um, that he have a, that he had a sense of what the Israelis want and what the Saudis want, uh, and, th- and we sure enough we saw that play out when the president was in Israel, uh, the caretaker prime minister there. Prime Minister Lapid saying basically words will not stop them. Lapid looking for the assurances from President Biden that if diplomacy fails, if economic pressure fails, the United States would be down the road prepared to use military force. He did not get that assurance explicitly, but it is sort of part of what uh, President Biden um, uh, suggested in their joint press conference and in some of the written materials we got. That was very important. Yeah, I thought that was uh... –
0: Oh, I was going to say. I thought that was a, a really critical piece of the puzzle. There, the president saying, you know, that he continues to believe that diplomacy is the the best path to that, but uh, that he wouldn't right. wait forever uh, on that. Uh, take us kind of to the next step in terms of dealing with Palestine uh, and uh, the meetings that the president had there. He he seemed to be a, a little bit resigned that uh, just nothing's going to happen in the short term.
1: Well, and and honestly, that's the right. That's, that's the correct diagnosis. You mm-hmm. know, the, President Biden is one of the few people who still believes and still expresses belief rather vocally in what's called the two-state solution, ending the uh, Palestinian-Israeli conflict by creating a Palestinian state. He's one of the few people who thinks that could still happen. Um, the Palestinians are pretty pessimistic. The Israelis uh, are taking steps that make it harder to do day by day, uh, enlarging the size of settlements on Palestinian land. Um, but he still went to the authority, still met with Mahmoud Abbas, and still professed a belief in the two-state solution. The problem – well, one of the problems, uh, Boyd, is that the region has changed. And what used to the, – the, the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict used to be the prism through which a lot of countries saw uh, – Israel saw American involvement. It is now Iran. Uh, the threat from Iran has now uh, eclipsed questions about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So what you have is you have actually the Saudis and the Israelis getting closer, uh, forging a closer security relationship, Saudi being the traditional historical um, uh, Muslim counterweights to Iran. They're both rivals for regional influence now that Saddam Hussein is gone. Um, and so there's not a ton of appetite in other Arab capitals for pressuring um, uh, either the Palestinians to make concessions or pressuring the United States to pressure Israel, and so he went. Biden went to the Palestinian Authority. He met with its leader. He talked about the Tuesday solution. He is trying to take steps to restore the U.S.-Palestinian relationship to the status quo, anti-Trump, um, but but it's tough. And um, and I don't know. I don't know anyone. There, there have been some senior form, former senior officials from both um, both parties who said. The two state solution is not going to make any progress anytime soon.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. Any any sense in terms of uh, Iran's connection with uh, with Russia? We know there's been lots of rumblings uh, coming out of the State Department about that. In terms of uh, Iran supplying some drones and so on to to Russia yep. in their efforts, did that come out uh, at all in the in the conversations?
1: Um, I, I, I'm 100% sure that some of those some of the, the behind-the-scenes conversations touched on that. You know, uh, as you say, the United States has accused Iran of trying to supply Russia with, uh, with drones. Let's pause for a second and, and ponder what that means. Russia is, it has a huge military. It, is, it has vast military expenditures, and it is going to Iran mm. to get drones to fight in Ukraine. That in itself is a fairly interesting indictment of the way Vladimir Putin has conducted this military campaign. Yeah, Um, But, but yeah, you know, we talk about – the Biden administration talks about Russia being isolated. Well, it's isolated from Western Europe. It's isolated from the European Union. It's isolated from countries like Japan and South Korea. It's isolated from the United States, of course, and Canada, places like that. But large swaths of the world have not signed on to the U.S.-led sanctions regime. So, sure, you know, Iran, Russia is one thing. Um, you see some transactions between Russia and, and India as well. Um, and so it's, it's, um, it's, it's important in this conversation, but it's probably not as important, honestly, as the fact that the Saudis have stepped up um, their relationship in terms of actually importing oil from Russia right. for, to, to generate power. That's probably more important. And then the relationship between Saudi Arabia and China, which has been getting deeper and deeper, I'm, I'm sure you know, the Saudis at one point were floating the possibility of denominating their oil sales or part of their oil sales in yuan, the official Chinese currency. So that relationship, both of those relationships, I'm sure were on the table when, when, uh, when President Biden arrived in that. Yeah, fantastic.
0: And now uh, looking at the uh, Saudi uh, portion of the, the program and those meetings, of course, uh, a lot of this uh, connects back to human rights and, uh, of course, uh, religious liberty and freedom of the press and uh, a host of other things down that path. What uh, what did the president really hope to accomplish? Again, very difficult, uh, very difficult to navigate uh, these waters, uh, going to upset uh, folks across the political spectrum for one reason or another, which is probably one reason to applaud that he actually did go uh, and, and leaned into this conversation as opposed to just saying, hey, it's easier politically for me to just stay home and, and not deal with this.
1: Right. Well, I think there were three uh, facets of the, the visit to, to Saudi Arabia that we should talk about. The first is... Uh, the president served sort of notice before traveling over to the Middle East that he would ask what's called the Gulf Cooperation Council, which is meeting in Saudi Arabia. He said he would ask all the members uh, of the Gulf Cooperation Council and, in fact, all the oil producers in the Middle East to expand oil production. Now, part of the reason for saying that was he didn't want to look like he was going cap in hand to beg the Saudis for more oil. Right. Um, but so that's that's an important thing that, that Americans would see their president over there uh, pushing oil producers to to pump more crude Um, To at least look like he's trying to to lower gas prices at home. It's hard because a lot of what's happening with gas prices. First of all, it's a global phenomenon. Secondly, a lot of it has to do with limited refinery capacity. So if you pump more oil, but there's no refinery space, you're ultimately not going to get you're not going to get more gas. Um, That's so that's one aspect. The other part of this is, as I mentioned, Iran, and I, I, I'm very curious to see what kind of official readout we get of the president's meetings with King Salman and um, his his son, who's universally known as MBS, the crown prince, who's the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia. Very curious to see what we get in terms of summaries about Iran. And the third thing, and this I didn't really mention in my run up to the um, to this, to this trip that's really important. The Biden administration is trying to build on the Trump administration's so-called Abraham Accords, which is essentially um, normalizing relations between Arab countries and Israel. And there would be no bigger prize in terms of uh, diplomatic success here than getting the Saudis and the Israelis to normalize their relations. It would, be, it would be just an extraordinary step. And so I think the Biden administration is pushing both sides to do that. I'm sure you saw there was a symbolic gesture that President Biden flew directly from Israel to Saudi Arabia. Um, that is not uh, over the last 50 years. That's not a common occurrence. Um, and so that was sort of an important symbolic thing. But of course, they're looking for something more concrete. And so it'll be important to watch as the president wraps up his stop in, in Saudi, um, how much progress he got in terms of the uh, the Saudi-Israeli relationship.
0: Uh, fantastic. Great insight, as always. And I want to ask you just real quickly. Uh, you, you mentioned in your in your 202 today uh, just that uh, one of your colleagues is, is traveling with the president and just the, the difference from, you know, kind of armchairing it uh, from Washington or New York or out here in Utah versus being in the pool or being on the plane or in the room. Uh, just give us a, a quick sense of that. I think that's fascinating for our listeners to think through how what we get to see or read uh, versus the uh, the dynamics in the room. I think it's just a really interesting perspective.
1: Well, ultimately, what you see and read uh, in, uh, in, in Utah or in Washington or anywhere that's not on the trip is the stuff that's filtered through the news media, right? So you get essentially the news, but there's a lot of stuff you don't necessarily get. The atmospherics, the body language between yeah. the leaders, um, you know, what, what U.S. officials are, are carping about off the record at the bar at the end of a long day in the King David Hotel, um, so you don't get the same kind of flavor, you know. I'll give you one example. I was in the room for the shoe throwing when, I, um, that, right. when that journalist threw both both of his shoes at uh, at George W. Bush. And one thing that I couldn't convey very well in my dispatch that day was how um, how incredibly tense everybody got in the room after the first black object sailed overhead, mm. and how we all wondered whether that was the kind of object that went boom or not. Yeah. Um, And it feels very, very different in the room. Um, You know, the the anger of the Secret Service at the Iraqi security folks, for example, was also not something that I could put in my dispatch. And so you get a very different sense when you're on one of these trips uh, for for what's happening. And ultimately, at the end of the day, and, and it's. Of course, it's useful to see just the news, just the headlines. That's, you know, that's why we exist, to give you the news and the headlines. But it's very different um, on the trip versus as a consumer of the news product on the trip. And that's why I enlisted Cleve Woodson. I wanted to get yeah. you know, someone who's on the ground who can talk about um, you know, the, the, the handshakes versus fist bumps um, kind of you know, COVID-era diplomacy. Right.
0: Uh, Fantastic insight, as always. Olivier Knox, appreciate you joining us on a Friday. He's a national political correspondent for The Washington Post and anchor of uh, one of our go-tos, the anchor uh, at the Daily 202. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, Olivier. Have a great weekend.
1: You too. Thanks very much.
0: All right. Uh, again, great stuff uh, there from Olivier Knox. And so many things uh, out of this trip, A uh, very complicated and complex and very crucial conversations to be had uh, in Israel, in, uh, in Palestine, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, so many things, so many subplots and sub-messages being done. And the important thing for all of us is to l- take the long view again. We can't just go by the headlines. Uh, We got to get past that. We got to dig a little deeper. I think there's some interesting things that we need to follow as it relates to Iran, as it relates to China uh, and Saudi Arabia, and we'll continue to follow that. Uh, Stay with us on Inside Sources. Again, with Lloyd Matheson on KSL
1: News Radio.
2: Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten.